crossover group. We appreciate them sponsoring each and every Sunday night's live stream. Uh, I'm joined by CJ Vogel and Rod Babers. Uh, we're here to talk a little Longhorn sports, a little football, uh, some recruiting news breaking over the weekend. Uh, but let's start with uh, the women. The Texas, Texas women's volleyball team wins back-to-back national championships in volleyball. Uh, they beat Nebraska three to nothing, three sets to love. And I've got to tell you, the last two weren't even close. I mean, they took it to them. Uh, the women just absolutely, yeah, Keith Davis, I agree. They embarrassed them uh, today in uh, on national television. Uh, everybody thought Nebraska was the nation's number one team, 33-1 and one going into it. The Lady Horns, 27-4. and four. Uh, But Texas behind Madison Skinner, Asia O'Neill, Ella Swindell, Emma Halter, Molly Phillips, uh, the whole group uh, literally contributed uh, to a resounding victory. And so right now in Austin, Texas, there's a burnt orange tower with the number one up. Uh, That's because University of Texas has won a national championship. That's the celebration we've got. Uh, Matthew Golden, and we want to talk about this too. He's the wide receiver out of University of Houston. Last night, he committed to the University of Texas, choosing Texas over. We don't even know who else was uh, trying to go after him because he shut it down before anybody else really went after him. Uh, he was that much going to Texas the whole time. The young man originally from Klein King played two years at uh, the University of Houston. We're going to talk a little state championship action. Texas uh, state championship, uh, a 6A Division two. Uh, it was not pretty. Uh, 74 to 14, <laughs> Soto beat Summer Creek. I mean, they took them to the woodshed. Uh, North Shore gave up a, a, fi- a fight of sorts in the second half against Duncanville, but the two North Texas teams uh, really carried the night uh, in 6A uh, in the state championships. Men's basketball, uh, that was a big one in my opinion this weekend. Uh, they went down to Houston, the Toyota Center, and beat LSU 96 to 85. Uh, importantly, it was uh, the first game back for D- Dylan DeSue, uh this season. He had 17 points, uh, four rebounds, but listen to this. He had five assists. Uh, we talked about in, in, uh, in the last month or so how Texas wants to play inside out. That means tossing the ball in and then getting Max Acemas, uh the ball on the perimeter, some other shooters on the perimeter. Acemas led all Longhorns yesterday, I believe, with 20 points or 19 points. Can't remember which. Uh, but the, let a, a Longhorn win 96-85. All right. That's that's my soliloquy for the for the night. We're also going to be taking folks' uh, questions, talking a lot of recruiting action. CJ's here uh, for us, uh, as well as some of my own information. Rod's going to talk a little Longhorn-Washington uh, matchup. He says he's been doing some research over the weekend. Mm-hmm. And uh, more than anything, we're just going to have a little fun. Uh, Rod, I'm going to start with you, and uh, I'm going to ask you, what you saw today. I know you watched a little volleyball. You you watched some Texas State Championships. You have anything on your mind you want to talk about? Uh, first of all, congrats to the ladies uh, winning back-to-back. That's big, man. That's huge. So congratulations. First of all, how of, how many coaches at Texas have won back-to-back championships? Did that put Jared Elliott in some rarefied air? I don't know how I think it does. does. The the, the, uh, w- the swim swimming and diving coach. Oh, yeah. Well, clearly. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Mr. Quick, I mean, he they they kill it over there, but um, that's true. Yeah, I, I feel like that's uh, one of those uh, rare situations uh, where they don't many. Uh, you're right, Rod. It's tough, man. It's tough to do. So, congrats. That, that's phenomenal. I mean, that's that's a that's a dynasty. There's no doubt about it. Any way you're looking at it, uh, what that was his seventh time, I believe, playing for the championship, Coach Elliott. Uh, third time in four years, uh, and the way they don't, it beat it beat number one, two, and three uh, on their way to the championship. Man, it was not an easy road. Uh, they just made it look easy. Uh, so, congrats to the ladies. Got to throw that out there uh, first and foremost. The state title game, the thing that I found interesting um, is that both both the both the Desoto and Duncanville, and I didn't even know this because I don't and I don't watch a lot of state title games. I had a friend of mine who was breaking it down for me that they're both in the same district. And that North Shore and Summer Creek are both in the same district. Man, yes, that is yes. crazy. That that is, I mean, those got to be some compet. That's a doomsday district there in Dallas, man. That's crazy. Right. Rod, hey, Rod. When I was when I was in high school, they just started doing two teams into the playoffs. They used to just do one team man. from a district in the playoffs. Wow. Now one one district's creating two state champions. 
<laughs> right? Like, I don't even know how that. I mean, CJ, you what? You got a chance to watch these, but I you know, that kind of blew my mind. That I think it's a District Eleven Six A. I'm not mistaken. That's the they call it the um the doubt da- the District of Doom <laughs> in Dallas, <laughs> uh, in D Town, and then the H Town District, which by the way is is. The D- DFW is on a whole nother level right now. I've been tracking this, Bob, and this kind of relates to recruiting. I've been tracking this since 2020. Metro areas in America that produce the most NFL talent, the only metro area producing more NFL talent right now, draftable NFL talent, than, than DFW is the Atlanta metro area. That's it. That's it. And beating every other metro. In Houston, by the way, it's still in the top six metro areas. And it ain't right now. It's not on the level that DFW is. And I'm from H-Town. All right, so CJ, I usually want to represent it. But I'll let, I'll, I'll, I'll let everybody know DFW, different level right now, man. It ain't even close. Yeah, the bragging rights are up north. That's that's for sure. CJ, <laughs> <laughs> what were some of the guys? I, I saw some of the Duncanville North Shore game. I was really impressed with Alex January, the defensive tackle. Uh, only a three-star, but he didn't play like a three-star uh, last night. What, what were some of the guys that you took away and said, hey, these these guys are future uh, NFL, high-level college players, in your opinion? No, 100%. I mean, I think January, to an extent, got gets overshadowed on his own team, you know. We can talk about the rankings and debate that all you want, but on his own team even, you know, normally when you, you have a guy in the trenches that's committed to a school like Texas, you know, he's going to be that guy in the trenches and you know it's kind of crazy and it's a testament to just how talented colin simmons is that all the attention goes to him on the edge and you know to colin's credit you know when you go back to back on the defensive mvps and state championship games yeah that alone speaks to how talented he is and you know how well he is able to stand up and show out in big games like this you know he's doing it on the biggest stage i think his final stat line was uh, eight tackles, three sacks, a forced fumble. That fumble was reco- recovered by January. So if you want a little glimpse of what could be, you know, possible down the line at Texas, there it is. It was, it was pretty cool to see. Uh, it, you know, they weren't the only ones from the Metroplex. Alito, uh, 12 times state football champions now for Alito. Jamichael yeah. Finley's son, I saw him catch a couple. He looked pretty good too uh, at CJ, but he's only a sophomore in high school, right? Yeah. No, he's – He's still very young. He's got a long, a long ways to go. And, you know, the good thing is he's already catching some attention nationally. Uh, Caden Finley, a kid that I was able to see last year. Go ahead, Bobby. I saw you perk up there. Yeah, it's not good that he's catching attention nationally. We want him to stay in Texas. <laughs> yeah, no, no doubt. But, no, I, I was able to see him in person uh, last January, right around the turn of the calendar uh, at the All-American, you know, uh, bowl game, showcase, camp, whatever they got down there. And man, like you can tell right away, like the the athleticism and the genes are were passed down 100. percent Yeah, I, I I look at it in North Texas, the only uh, Houston area school, and it's not really Houston; it's more Southeast Texas Golden Triangle. Port Natchez won. Yeah, uh, Port Natchez Rose won uh, the the state championship. They have an offensive lineman Jackson Christian uh, that Texas is looking at as well. All right, we're gonna get to some of y'all's questions. I'm going to talk a little Longhorn recruiting because that is what's brewing right now. Uh, to be honest, it is four days away from National Signing Days. Texas got a commitment yesterday. Uh, Texas looking very, very good for a couple guys we need to get into uh, here tonight as well. But first, I want to say thank you to our sponsor. Our our uh, Sunday night live stream is brought to you by the folks at the Cross Oak Group. Cross Oak is one of the leading government affairs firms in Texas, specializing in lobbying, political communications business development, and regulatory compliance. These days, government finds ways to impact nearly every aspect of your business. With decades of experience ranging from the State House to the White House, Cross Oak Group helps its clients hedge risk and protect and grow their bottom lines. To learn more, go to www.crossoakgroup.com. Thank you guys for your sponsorship of the Sunday Night Live stream. Hey, uh, this one from Daniel Kinneman, guys. Uh, thanks for the volleyball coverage and bringing in the coaches, Coach Shipley and Coach Davis. Uh, Rod, I don't know if you got a chance. Uh, you you talked with uh, Coach Shipley on Thursday for football theory. I don't Is know there... if you got a chance to watch the interview I had with Greg Davis over the weekend. But, man, what a tremendous – I want to say this, and I appreciate him joining us on the show, obviously. But you talk about an old ball coach that kind of has a gentle soul. It came through in that interview, I thought. He's like a – He's like a player's coach. He's not necessarily the, you know, he's not, 
he's not the rah-rah players coach, but he's kind of that guy that you can know you can rely on as a player. You know what you get when you talk to him. Yeah, and it's kind of new age, right? Because, you know, he wasn't the kind of coach that was going to dog cuss you about making mistakes. That just really wasn't him. He wasn't volatile, highly emotional. He was pretty even kill all the time. Even when, you know, things were going great, he was just a kind of an even kill guy. Uh, I think that helped him uh, in his play calling. One thing I loved about Coach Davis, I love that also about him. I think that's the way, you know, nowadays – Coaches are more even kill. They don't blow up on guys. They're not going to be, you know, dog cussing guys like they used to. That's an old school approach now because guys will put you on blast on Twitter, on social media, right? Or guys will transfer. You got to be a little bit, you know, a coach, you got to be a little bit more agreeable as a coach these days. And he was just a coach that was always pretty, you know, even kill. One thing I love about him football wise um, is that every offense that Greg Davis had for every different quarterback he changed it and adapted it based on the talent of the QB, right? With, you know, when he had, you know, Sims or even with major, right? That was a different offense than Sims. Sims ran a pro style offense, was under center a lot, <laughs> which some people disagreed. Probably should have been more of a shotgun, but it was a pro style. We still had fullbacks back then. Guys like Matt Trissel, all right? Chad Stevens, <laughs> uh, who still running kind of 21 personnel at times back in the day instead of more spread sets like you would see. Uh, then comes in VY. He wants to zone read uh, and obviously takes that to a whole nother level. Uh, when Colt comes in, Colt runs kind of a uh, kind of a multiple uh, spread, uh, you know, kind of a multiple spread uh, set. And it's a different offense than, you know, Sims ran and then VY ran. Um, and you could argue that the one time when Matt Brown called his shot on offense after the big after that national title game with Texas lost Alabama. And he said, we're going to be a power running team. That was the only time where Greg Davis, and I don't even know if it was on Greg Davis, we're on Mac where his offense failed its quarterback. And it's because Matt called his shot. Matt was like, we're going to be a power running team like Bama. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Greg Davis always adapts the offense to whatever talent is presented to him at quarterback. He doesn't just, you know, he never says, hey, the quarter, quarterback's going to fit my system. No, his system will always fit the quarterback. He was always a QB system guy. And, you know, and I think, you know, Matt kind of threw that off. But anyway, different discussion for a different day. Uh, he was, I'll just say this as it relates to that, how that relationship ended. Greg Davis was 133 and 34 at Texas yeah. as the offense coordinator. He got fired after a five and se- one five and seven season. Okay, <laughs> I mean, and I know I was around. I was I was one of those guys like Greg. You got to throw it past the chains, man. Against a against OU because they tackle too well. I, I mean, I, I understand. I'm not look. I'm not. I'm not re- recreating history here. I had my yeah. brothers well, just like every Texas fan did. But you know, the proof is in the pudding. One thirty three yeah. and thirty four. I mean, Mac was not nearly as successful once he left. I'll, I'll just put it that way. All right, a couple other questions here we'll get to now. Uh, Bobby, this from Kelly Hyden. Uh, any concerns that we only got one commit from this weekend? Can we have one or two silent commitments? The answer is I am not concerned in the slightest. And could we have one or two or three commitments silent is more the question, not including one that was visiting somewhere else this weekend in Trey Moore, the defensive end out of a UTSA. Look, I'll, I'll let CJ address and CJ, I want you to go through the guys that visited and where Texas sits with all those guys. If you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. It, it was a big recruiting weekend and you know, it, it, it it's this staff's, you know, kind of going back to the well, if you will, right before national signing day, here we are again, looking at, you know, potentially a couple flips, a couple guys in the portal. We already got one in the bag that we've seen, uh, you know, go live with Matthew golden last night. I'll start with the portal since we're already on that topic. Andrew Makuba, Clemson uh, defensive back on campus this weekend. He's back home, if you will, uh, in Austin, checking out the campus, hosted by uh, his former high school coach and now the director of high school uh, relations, Jamal Finner, on campus this weekend for his official visit. Uh, By all accounts, everything that I've heard that's gone on from this weekend, very well. It, it went very well for Andrew Makuba. I do think Texas is the team to beat there. If a decision came tomorrow, I think Texas would be receiving some good news again. Uh, and I, I, I've mentioned this on previous shows, Bobby, but I want to give him a, another shout out again. Jade Barron and what he's been able to do connecting with uh, Makuba on his visit. The two obviously are from the Austin area. They train with the same trainer and bam, 
uh, Bernard Blake as well. So it, unsung hero right there for Jade Barron uh, in this recruitment. And it, it's a seamless fit moving forward. Uh, down to the high school ranks, Xavier Philsame, I mean, a guy that Texas has been really turning up the heat for as of late, still currently committed to Florida. He tweeted out this evening, uh, he will be signing on Wednesday. A decision will be made whether or not he will flip to Texas or not. We'll see on on uh, on Wednesday. But at the moment, I have I like where Texas uh, was coming into the weekend, and I think the weekend only strengthened their uh, approach and their attack and that recruitment. I do believe a flip is uh, in the works there for the five star safety. What about Ty Anthony Smith, the linebacker out of Jasper? Absolutely. Ty Anthony Smith, a fun one. He, he was told, you know, and this is the only guy at the position of linebacker that Texas is really trying to pursue in this class. If that doesn't say a lot about how, you know, the Texas staff is viewing him, I don't know what else will. Ty Anthony Smith, talented ball, uh, ball player. And you have to imagine what AM has gone through this past couple, uh, you know, weeks, months, you know, in terms of their football turmoil. It's only strengthening the Texas's approach looking down the road, seeing that a college football playoff, uh, you know, appearance is in their sight. I was told last week coming in, if he gets to campus, that's when things should really start heating up on the Texas side of things. He went through an entire weekend in Austin. Texas is looking good. All right. Uh, then the last one to the last high school guy, Alex Foster is one we know the least about, uh, frankly. He's from Greenville, Mississippi. Uh, it went to St. Joseph's school there, a smaller school, but he's not small. He's like six, five and a half, 250 plus pounds. Uh, my understanding there, CJ, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that uh, he was not, he did not get pushed to commit. And he's looking to make a decision in February of next year. Um, and that gives Texas time maybe to look at other defensive tackles as well, like D'Alen Evans, uh, the defensive tackle out of Longview Pine Tree, as well as Dominic McKinley out of Lafayette, Louisiana, uh, that guy as well. So legitimately, yes, Texas got one commitment this weekend in Matthew Golden, but I think that they could go three or five or four or five. I would probably, I wouldn't wager, don't get me wrong, but I think that if a a smart man would say they're likely to get at least four of those five at this point. Is that a fair assessment? I think so. And again, this weekend, the remarks that I've heard coming out of this weekend, very, you know, that they did not vary, actually. It was all positive news. It was all, this is what, you know, you wanted to hear coming out of a big visit weekend late in the year as the signing day and the portal window is still open. Uh, positive remarks all the way around. And again, like you said, I think three is the floor, four is looking possible and, you know, potentially even likely. Got it. All right. Uh, we, we got one thing here that I think I want to get to real quick from Juan. Bobby, it's like clockwork. A&M is going to be what they what they were in the Big 12 football-wise. Texas will be Texas. Also, did you see the disrespect North Shore did at the end of the game, not shaking the hands of Duncanville? I did not see that. Did anybody Ooh. see that? I didn't see uh, it. I, 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 was, I, was, I was doing other things. Uh, hey, I want to say this. Um, A&M has got some issues right now. I mean, there's just no two ways about it. We've chronicled that here, um, but they've got to get out from under themselves right now. I mean, they, they're they losing guys. They just lost the, their quarterback commitment for the class of 2025. Just, I mean, he decommitted last week and committed to Ole Miss this weekend. I mean, they're not just losing 2024 commitments right now, guys. They're losing, they're losing uh, uh, street credibility with guys like Zion Williams out of Lufkin a defensive tackle that everybody in the country wants. I mean, they're, they're, they're taking some direct hits, not just in this recruiting class, but in future ones as well. Um, all right, let's keep going here. we got some time for questions and uh, thoughts. Uh, before I go on, though, Rod, I want to ask you, what are the one or two things you learned or were thinking about this weekend as you dove deeper into uh, your, uh, your Washington uh, deep dive? Uh, yes, yeah, a couple of things, right? So I, you know, I've been uh, rewatching that game from last season uh, with Texas versus Washington in the Alamo Bowl. You know, basically two big reasons Texas lost that game. You know, third down conversions, real money down conversions, because Washington went for it on fourth down. They were thirteen of twenty three, I believe, uh, converted. You know, around fifty six percent of their uh, money downs. That, that's why they won the game. I mean, it was essentially that was it. I mean, Texas held them to one of ten. 
uh, on deep balls down the field. It was a really good game plan. I don't think Texas has strayed much from that game plan they had last year. Actually, it was a sound game plan. The, 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 the issue was last season, they tried to play defense with a lighter box, late rotations, all right, by the safeties to get in the run game. Oftentimes, and I think Washington was just savvy about it, Washington would run away from the late rotation. Say they were rotating down to the left side, then Washington would be running to the uh, to the right side. And it was it was one of those things where Texas couldn't play with a light box last year and neutralize the run game. They just they weren't good enough in the front seven. This year they actually are good enough in the front seven to be able to neutralize the deep ball with some deeper safeties like they did last season, and then also be able to come up late and run support. But then with guys like Tavondre Sweat, with guys like Jalen Ford, with guys like Byron Murphy, I think they can hold up. Now, here's the thing. I do think that Washington's going to break tendency. I just haven't figured out how they're going to do it. You got you always break tendency to win a big game. One of the ways they may break tendency is to go more up-tempo. Now, keep in mind, you know, Texas, when Texas was susceptible this year, first of all, they lost to Oklahoma. Oklahoma's top 10 in plays, right, in, in plays per minute. So they run a lot of plays per minute. Uh, when Texas was susceptible to teams coming back in those games where they were up by 20-something points, what those teams started doing when they got down 20-something points? Up-tempo, right? Got to. I'm running out of time, running out of play. I got to get more plays in. So they started to go up-tempo. It's one of those things that Texas is susceptible to. That's why also Texas struggled in what? Two-minute drill because it's naturally up-tempo. All right? So that's one of the things that I think Washington may decide at times, situationally, to go up tempo when Texas doesn't expect it. They're, I don't think they're going to sub a lot because they don't want Texas to sub a lot. I think they're going to try to keep Texas a deep defense, defense, uh, defensive lineman on the field, wear them out, kind of like Oklahoma did at times. Keep them running east to west, and then with the tempo, keep them worn out a little bit. Now, I don't think you do it the whole game. And by the way, Washington doesn't want to do this. They're 75th in the country in plays per minute. They like to slow it down, take their sweet time. I just I wonder how they're going to break tendency to beat because oh, to win this game they got to break tendency somehow. I think if they just are who they are, I do think Texas can will beat them. I, I I think Texas showed that last in the last game where they held them to one of ten on deep balls. They held uh, uh, Michael Penix to his lowest yards per attempt in the last two years. He was under sixty percent completion percentage. It was a good sound game plan to win that game. Uh, they just let them convert too many money downs. And here's the key. Real quick before we move on. The money downs, I found out how they were converting them, and this is what freaks me out. So I went and looked at the money downs they converted. When they were targeting bunch formation, you guys have heard me talk about this. That's closely clustered groups of receivers. Um, they didn't complete a lot of them. You're talking about less than a 55% completion percentage, which is good. But they were 85% conversion rate on third and fourth downs when they were targeting Closely clustered groups of receivers, what I call bunch formation, stack twins, tight twins, trips in a bunch, whatever you want to call it. That's the problem. And this year, Texas, when they have to defend bunch formations on third downs, it's been a problem. Teams are converting over 60% of their third downs when they're targeting bunch formations against Texas. That's That concerns me a little bit. That concerns me. Because if I've seen it, then Kellen DeBoer has seen it. He's seen it from last year. It's one of the few things that Texas is vulnerable to this season. It's hard because the, the, the corners and DBs have a tough time passing off receivers, all right, in coverage. And that forces you to do it to an extreme level. And it makes the windows a lot bigger for quarterbacks because it gives the receivers a free release. And you can see who's going to be open initially. You can see who's going to – what DB has to get a space because you have to play level so you don't get bumped and you don't get rubbed on those routes. So that's something to watch, something that's been freaking me out. But, I mean, like I said, that game plan last year for Texas was really good. This year, they'll play more bump and run coverage, I believe, too. But this is going to be a – I think it's going to be a close game either way. Let, let me ask you this. Did When Texas playing more bump and run like they were against Tech yeah. and Oklahoma State, did that in, improve Texas's output against bunch formations? Oh, I'm glad you asked, Bobby, because it did indeed. Actually, <laughs> essentially, essentially shut those concepts down. No, it really did. It shut those concepts down. I wouldn't look at it. Uh, if you're talking about targets to bunch versus Oklahoma State, uh, a less a 50% completion percentage, 
uh, with uh, versus uh, Texas Tech. I mean, hell, they held Texas Tech to 2.4 yards per attempt, <laughs> period, overall. Uh, so they did. They shut those concepts down. And that, I think, and I, I pointed out, I think that was Texas' adjustment to it. Uh, it may be a matchup thing, or maybe they, they trust these young corners now that their technique will hold up in bumper run coverage. But Mike Gundy is a hell of a coach, and Mike Gundy decided to take Texas' yard when they went bumper run coverage. Texas Tech couldn't do it, but Oklahoma State decided, man, we're just going to throw it deep every time, double moves, out and up. We're going to chunk it deep. They were three of seven, all right, on deep balls, 20 yards or more down the field. That does not include the P.I. on Jaday Barron. That did not include the post route that was wide open that the quarterback missed. Did not include the P.I. that Gundy wanted that probably should have been called on that first drive of the game. They had some success, and they're not even close to being the best wide receiving core in college football, which is what Washington may have. By the way, Texas has the same audible when somebody comes up to bump and run X-Man or A.D. Mitchell. Where do they go? We go in yard. Let's take them. <laughs> our guys are better than their guys. Let's go. They'll probably think the same thing about Texas DBs. Rob, real quick, I wanted to follow up. Just you mentioned pace and how quickly teams are able to, you know, get to the line of scrimmage and get a playoff. Having you know seen kind of the the, the rise in uh, up tempo offenses recently, how I guess different is it defensively to to face a an offense that comes out flying to begin the game versus how, you know, they might do that in the second half of the game. Is it that much of a difference? Is it still the same stress? Because I have a follow-up point here in a minute, but I, I wanted to hear if there is a big difference, whether it be in the first half to start the game or an adjustment in the third third quarter where you're sitting there like, oh, boy, they're going fast now. Yeah, I think there is because there's a different mindset, right, for DBs. They're not as aggressive, I think, in that two-minute drill. There are right. sometimes there's a mindset of, all right, let's just not give up the big play, the cheap one. Um, so I, I do think there's a different mindset situationally into a two-minute drill uh, in terms of, like I said, Texas at times, you know, they, they've struggled when just with up-tempo teams, period, when teams get down by – 20 something points or 20 points. They decide we need more plays and we we're running out of time. TCU did that. U of H did that. K state did that. They all did it. And once they became up tempo teams, they had success against Texas, right? It's just replicating a two minute drill. And that's, I I wonder if, you know, Washington, like I said, they don't like to do it, Like I said to win a big game, you've got to break tendency. And that's a way to do it to just shock Texas in the middle of the second quarter. Or in the middle of the first quarter, just go up tempo. And Texas is like, what the hell are you doing? Why are they going up tempo? We don't know. We don't know. And why? Just so we can break tendency and shock Texas and catch them off guard. That was I, I'm just trying to look at how they would do it. That's one way I think they could do it. Yeah, I asked that. I was looking at the numbers earlier, right before the show. Washington's first half offensively is amongst the best in the entire country. They're, they have a great offense to begin with, but quarter by quarter, their first quarter scoring is seventh best in the country. Their second quarter scoring is the best in the country. They average 14 yeah. points in the second quarter alone. As that continues on, uh, that scoring starts to drop. And it's kind of weird because the Texas defense is kind of the opposite. You know, they're, they're top 15 in the first two quarters. They dropped to 17 for the third. And now they're down to 46 in the fourth quarter in terms of scoring uh, points allowed yeah. per quarter. Excuse me. Uh, whereas, you know, Washington offensively, as the halftime flips, and you come back out of the locker room, that first and seventh ranking is no longer there. Washington in the third quarter sitting there at 60, 63rd in the country. And in the fourth quarter, the money quarter, they're sitting at 47th. So it's kind of a weird switch after halftime. And, you know, we talk about adjustments. I wonder what they'll do coming out of halftime uh, with tempo, going fast, stretching the field vertically. We'll see, I guess. But it is something to think about. And, you know, obviously you'll, you'll have to adjust for it if it, you know, becomes part of the game plan. Yeah. I would say this, um, and I want to add this to, to points to that. A lot of that, a lot of Texas's uh, points, as far as they, as far as the Longhorns giving up points, they, a lot of teams were coming from behind against Texas. Absolutely, and, and yep. so that that's a part of it. Also, Washington in the second half was probably trying to sit on the ball and sit on a lead quite a bit. Oh, yeah. fair. That, that's that's a mitigating factor. Also, fair. the other thing I had, Rod. You talk about speeding it up, and I don't want to belabor this, but one of the things that's problem going tempo is how much most motion they do. It's they hard. Do it. I know that's what I'm saying. They do just as much yeah. motion as yeah. Sark, and so it's yeah. hard to be a hurry up offense when you're. I mean, literally, you have so much eye candy going on pre 
pre-snap, it's not really tempo. Now, they may get on the line of scrimmage, but is it true tempo if you've got, you know, a set and a reset and a motion and a back motion? I mean, yeah. It, it's not the Oklahoma or TCU tempo. No, exactly. It was you're talking about more lineup on the ball as opposed yep. to true tempo. Totally agree. That's what I say. It, it would truly be them breaking tendency. It is not what they like to do. It is not what they're comfortable doing. As you pointed out, they like to take their time because they do a lot of pre-snap motion shifts, and they would open themselves up to pre-snap penalties, right? They start hurrying up, doing things out of character. So I'm just, like I said, is it just – theoretically how they – I know they're going to break tendency. I just don't know how they're going to do it. I know they will, um, you know, and I just don't know exactly how they're going to do it. I, one thing I do know is Texas is going to shut down their run game, and when Texas shuts down the run game, what's the next, you know, the, the next move, the next adjustment by Washington? Because nobody's been able to run the ball on Texas. Washington won't be able to run the ball either. We know that. Uh, I, Rod, I, I got to be honest with you. Thanks for looking into that over the weekend. I can always – we can always rely on Rod to come up with some little tidbits tidbits for people to to discuss and uh, talk about uh, from a game perspective. All right, Justin Yarbrough here. Bobby, what are y'all hearing on Xavier Phil-Samy and Ty, Ty Anthony Smith after the OV, and what do y'all expect in the 2020 – when do y'all or what do y'all expect in the 2025 recruiting class about to begin? So a couple things here. One is uh, we've gone over this, people just now coming in. We've added about 600 people since we started – uh, this Xavier Philsamy and Ty Anthony Smith both had their official visits to Texas this weekend. If you did, if you're just now catching up, Smith, we did not know for sure if he was coming in. He did make it in on Friday. Philsamy also made it in with his dad over the weekend. Uh, both of those young men are remain committed publicly to other schools, but I would say pretty clearly that both of them are are thinking very heavily about the Longhorns right now. Smith has not spoken publicly about when he will make up his final decision. He may not even make an announcement. We don't know that yet. So uh, as soon as we know that, we'll pass that news on. As far as Phil Simi is concerned, he said uh, via tweet that he is going to make his announcement on Wednesday at 3 p.m. at his high school. So we're talking about late Wednesday, right? Because signing day starts at 7 a.m. We'll be on air here on Texas football all day long. But that's when that that's what we're waiting on right now, Justin. We don't have any more than that. We do believe Texas sits in, if not the catbird seat, certainly pole position with both those young men, given the fact that they visited so late in the game uh, that there's turmoil at both schools, frankly. Uh, Florida right now, an absolute mess. Uh, the Aggies, not much better. Um, so actually, they're worse. So, so my point being that neither, neither of those guys – the fact that they were at Texas this late and that Texas has been uh, recruiting them so long, I think that it really uh, looks good for the Longhorns. As far as the 2025 class, uh, so right now Texas has one commitment, uh, and that young man is K.J. Lacey, the quarterback out of Saraland, uh, Alabama. Out, out of, It's in the Mobile area. Uh, now, there is a possibility of a commitment in 2025 tomorrow. Emory Watts or Emory Winston – a tight end, 6'3", 235, uh, out of Calhoun County, Georgia, will make his announcement tomorrow at 430. So be on the lookout for that. That would be the second commitment of the class of 2025. He was a 5A All-State selection uh, at wide receiver, had 900-plus yards receiving last year, Rod and uh, CJ. So that's where it's at right now with uh, the 2025 recruiting. They're going to have their first uh, – CJ, when did you say their first junior day was for the class of 2025? January 20th, uh, about a little over a month from today. I'm really excited for this 2025 class, especially the in-state crop. I think there's a lot of good talent, especially on the offensive line. Uh, there will never be a shortage of receivers in the state of Texas as well. Uh, and I, I, I think Texas, you know, coming off the momentum that they have currently, they have a great opportunity to make a splash in that 2025 class. And I mean, what better than to cap, you know, a, a, a potential national championship than getting the top batch of, uh, 2025 prospects on campus right away. All right. Uh, hey, uh, I'm going to ask you this one, uh, Rod, if you don't mind, because you've watched him. Matthew Golden will be electric in a Xavier Worthy role. This is from Tyler Davis. And the, the thing about Golden, I think he's a little bit more versatile than Worthy mm -hmm. in some ways, right? I mean, Worthy's got a – he's that get-it-and-go kind of guy. Golden may be a little bit different, right? 
Yeah, I think um, Matthew Golden's stop and start ability. He may be a little, it's weird to say, a little twitchier. Xavier Worthy, obviously, straight ahead speed. I, I think he, <laughs> I think he wins that, no question. Uh, but I do think Matthew Golden's a little twitchier. Um, I do think his ability to stop on a dime, start and stop, is what helps his his kickoff return ability, right? And I, I, I even said that if he can't crack the receiver rotation, which I think he will, uh, but if he can't, Sark won't waste that kind of dynamic ability. Um, Sark, Sark, you know, he's often inspired by guys like Matthew Golden, like Keelan Robinson, right? Keelan Robinson's his kickoff returner, which Matthew Golden will step in as – you know, upgrade a kickoff return, which is hard to do because Keelan Robinson is pretty fantastic. But he'll, if he can't crack the receiver rotation and be, you know, the guy in the slot, the uh, electric guy in the slot for Sark, um, Sark will find a way to come up with specific packages for him. But I think he'll crack their receiver rotation and he'll be the guy that Sark uses for targets to motion. Um, I'll find my targets to motion stats here in a second. I got papers all over the place. Uh, but Sark loves targets to motion. It's when, you know, you basically target a player who was in motion at the time of the snap or before the snap, basically giving those guys a running start. <laughs> uh, guys with a lot of speed. He loves to do it with Xavier Worthy. Uh, he did it with, you know, Bijan a lot. Did it, does do it with JT Sanders a lot. Uh, he'll do that with a guy like Matthew Golden, uh, find him a match advantage and just get him about three, four yards of space. And he does this with Keelan Robinson, and it puts defenders in a hell of a conundrum. Because when you got guys with that kind of speed in space, either I'm chasing, and if I'm chasing a guy with speed, man, I'm trying to hit max speed. So I'm probably out of control. And all it takes is one cut on one dime, and I'm in a spin cycle. That's what Keelan Robinson does to guys. Or you don't have enough speed. You're trying to gauge your speed, and then a guy like Keelan Robinson or Matthew Golden just beats you to the perimeter and – Get, gets the edge on you and just runs right around you. And all you need is a few yards of space. And Sark's great at scheming that little bit of space for guys like Matthew Golden. So we got, I think he might be a little bit more versatile than thinking I might put him in the backfield at times and one plays for him out of the backfield, just straight up. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Interesting. Well, if he can get the ball in space, like almost like a kick returner, right? Exactly. Starts weaving himself. I mean, that's a natural kind of instinct. It's almost like Jonathan Brooks. Jonathan Brooks is really good on the screen game, right? He's better than most people because he's got a, a sense of timing as well as when to hit the Jets. Maybe Great that's point. the way Golden will be with the swing pass type stuff. Rod is what you're talking about. All right, this from Jeff Carey. Went to the Division Six high school games yesterday. Uh, DeSoto was extremely impressive. Uh, 74 points later, <laughs> I think, Jeff. Do you think they are the best team in the country? Who are the top prospects? I, I will say this. I have no clue. I, I've covered high school football and recruiting for so long, and I will tell you all this. There is no debating in figuring out who the best team in the country actually is. I think it's in high school it's just so bizarre because – Here's one thing that can happen. One team has a bad position group and another team has a strong one. And all of a sudden that other team wins. You know, it, it's it's not like college football or even pro football where there's reasonable approximate approximations. There's this wide chasm between St. John Bosco and yeah. Duncanville that you just don't it, you can look at them all you want. It used to be Concord de La Salle in Northern California back with uh, Maurice Jones Drew and DJ Williams and all those guys. I've been to them all, and it's five to one, half dozen the or six to one, half dozen the other. And the other thing is, coaching 
can make the biggest difference yes. of all. Because if you have a scheme and you're, you have a scheme fit, that's the big one. CJ, tell them about who the top prospects are at DeSoto, in your opinion. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, Jeff, to your question, is, are they top three? They certainly made a good point. You know, you, you already have a win over Duncanville, who won a state championship right before you. You go out and win by 60. So, yeah, I think they're they're in that conversation, to say the least. Uh, that Duncan or DeSoto team is stacked, as you would imagine. I mean, uh, the, the big names in the 2025 class that, you know, Texas will be keeping a close eye on. You look at the, the massive uh, left tackle right there, Byron Washington, three, what is he, 6'8", 380 pounds, might be Ooh. even bigger than that. Uh, he visited Texas uh, in, in July of, uh, prior to the season. I think he made it down for a game uh, against Wyoming as well. That's a kid that is very interested in Texas. You know, you talk to him and he loves what uh, Kyle Flood has done with, quote unquote, the big humans that have been committed and developed under him and his 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 tenure as a offensive line coach. Texas is is in that mix right right away for him. Uh, Tiger Wright in the running back. I know Texas is is looking nationally uh, at the running back position. And, you know, Tashard Choice can basically put a pin on any player in the country that he wants and he'll go get him, basically. Uh, but he's a talented player. And then 2027 wide receiver, true freshman at a school like DeSoto. You rarely see it. But uh, Ethan Booby Feaster, receiver out there, runs about a 10-3 as a freshman. He is a kid that can fly. And uh, it, you'll, you'll hear that name a lot over the next three years. And, you know, those, those, uh, those offers are already flying in for him. Uh, one other guy I wanted to t- mention uh, very briefly is Sale Reyes, a defensive back play safety for DeSoto currently. He was in, intrigued uh, uh, with Texas and Oklahoma Previously, at the beginning of the year, he's from the north. I believe Michigan is where he moved down from right at the beginning of the year. So he has ties to the north. Notre Dame's interested in Michigan as well. Uh, if Texas is, you know, looking at a guy that can can fly to the football and, and bring the boom, he's a guy in that class that I would keep a close eye on. Interesting. Uh, well, thanks for that. I, I have to say this. Uh, when you said 10-3, my ears perked up uh, as a high school <laughs> freshman because – and that's that's close to winning the state championship, guys, as, as a freshman at running. Hey, uh, uh, CJ, uh, you and I can answer this one from Daniel Kinnaman together. CJ, are we better taking Alex Foster or waiting to see if we can flip McKinley or D'Alen Evans? While I think that Texas only wants one more interior guy, it's not out of the question they'll go to two. So I don't know that it's an either or here. But CJ, what what are your thoughts? Should they wait on McKinley and Evans? Or go with Foster immediately. You know it's tough. Um, I, I I I like Foster a lot. I think there's a lot to like about his potential. Um, whereas if you look at a guy like McKinley or Dalen Evans, there's probably a little bit more fine-tuned skill at the moment. So uh, do you feel good about you know the potential depth right away that you can kind of put a guy on the back burner and and see where he is in a year from now? I think that might be in the evaluation course at the moment. I'm not entirely sure, Bobby. You might have a better uh, sight there. But I do think what you're seeing right now from Alex Foster on his film, a guy from the Deep South in that Mississippi area, a guy who's probably not getting the best nutrition or, you know, it, it is certainly going to improve the minute that he steps onto a college campus. What you're seeing on film already is incredible. What The raw tools, the raw physical strength, it jumps off the screen on, on his huddle, and it's something that you look at very closely and you say, all right, like this is probably worth the project. You know, this is worth it. I, I was told today uh, by someone that was on campus th- this weekend with the recruits, uh, Alex Foster is going to be a very big man one day. <laughs> He's 6'5 and a half, 250, and has just started getting growing. Uh, look, I don't know how Texas is going to play it out. As of right now, it looks like all three of those guys or waiting until the February signing period. Interestingly, D'Alen Evans, uh, for those that are unaware, is the li- defensive lineman out of Longview Pine Tree. He was actually supposed to be on an official visit to AM this weekend, yet he somehow found a way to be on Xavier Phil Samee's live Instagram live last night, throwing up the hook'em. Uh-oh. While he's committed to AM. So be aware of that, guys. All right, hey, uh, here's another one real quick uh, from a- A17, Mr. Talk Too Much. Hampton. Aaron Hampton seems to like Bama a bit too much, and Aaron Butler is faster on both sides of the ball. If Hampton flips, does Texas go heavy uh, in heavy on Butler? Uh, the reality of it is, is I don't believe that's going to be the case. Uh, Hampton has uh, now reaffirmed to Texas. He even went with D'Alen Evans on a home visit of sorts 
when uh, Blake Gideon was in through Longview earlier this week uh, or earlier last week, uh, D'Alen Evans and Blake Gideon, uh, as well as Aaron Hampton, were all together at the Chipotle in Longview. So <laughs> they they got a home visit together. So I don't think Aaron Hampton's uh, Aaron Hampton's looking to recruit other players to Texas, not vice versa. Uh, Mike Goss, now uh, any word on how Ty Anthony Smith's visit went? Is Texas still confident in the flip? Texas, uh, you know, you're not going to get them to be overconfident, right? But I feel like Texas, from what I understand, is has some cautious, very cautious mm -hmm. optimism. Uh, as it relates to not only Ty Anthony Smith, but Xavier Filsame, Andrew McCuba, uh, they certainly had some, and rightfully so, on Matthew Golden as well. Uh, Jeremy Ryder saying, uh, according to SI, Filsame has flipped to Texas. Can anyone confirm? That's inaccurate. Uh, I think they pre-wrote a commitment story. CJ, you've done this a lot, a lot in your life, where you have to rewrite, pre-write a story, and I think someone accidentally said it public. Uh, sometimes that that's they could also have one that he's sticking with the Gators that's pre-written as well. And it and they flip that and they just flip the wrong one. Uh, so don't take that one as much. Hey, Rod, I want to ask you this one, buddy, uh, from Freshwater Cajun. I didn't know there was such a thing uh, between Washington and Texas. <laughs> which team has more ways to win or lose? Rod, I, I, I saw you and I saw this graphic the other day where. It's college football stats, I think, that had Washington a 53% chance of winning, Texas a 47% chance. Which yeah. team has more ways to win? Which team has more ways to lose? That's a great question. I was actually talking to um, my, my my wife. Her family lives in Idaho. So they got friends who are basically Washington Husky fans, like a lot yeah. of them, because that's their kind of college team up there, the big-time college team. So I was actually talking to somebody, um, FaceTime with somebody about the Longhorns, and I told him, I said, listen, Texas is a better football team than Washington. They are. I just, they got more talent overall. I mean, don't blue chip ratios, that kind of stuff. We talk about recruiting. Texas has more talent than Washington. Texas has better trenches overall than Washington. Um, but the Kim Kardashian, Nicki Minaj, Serena Williams size, Cardi B size, Megan the Stallion size, but they have a better quarterback. That's pretty big. That's huge, right? Um, they may have a better coach, and Sark is damn good, but Kevin DeBoer, they've had the coaching advantage too. I mean, you can say, I love Sark. Sark's awesome. Kevin DeBoer's guy, he checks more boxes. <laughs> Sark he's, does. Won it, he's won at the lower levels too. Like, he's he's won <laughs> championships, right? Yeah, I mean, he's like, I want to yeah. say he's like 103. Right, he's like a hundred and like three and eleven or something like that. His career, I maybe I might be giving him too many losses. He might maybe like hundred and three and eight. He's like it, it's it's ridiculous his record. Um, so they got the coaching advantage potentially, quarterback advantage, um, and their strength. Their strength is specifically targeted at Texas' biggest weakness. That's that's the story. That's that's it in a nutshell, freshwater Cajun. Texas is a better team, no doubt. But I just gave you three reasons why uh, you know Washington could win the game. I think Texas has more ways to win. I think Washington has more ways to lose. But that one way Washington can win their passing game, based the most sophisticated passing game with the best complement of wide receivers that Texas has played all year long, three NFL caliber wide receivers with the first-round quarterback, Michael Penix, who was a, a finalist in the Heisman, and a coach, Kenny DeBoer, who's just a fast-rising star in college football. Hey, they got all the, the ways and all of the necessary materials to beat a team that's better than them. Oregon, everybody kept – Oregon still to this day, if you look at it right now, it's like check – Oregon still probably on paper lines up as a better team than Washington, but we don't play these games on paper. I, they, they, don't, they don't play them on paper. It's, it's look, at, look at all that. Look at that. That's all the research I'm doing, trying to figure out on paper, and it can all exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and if, if Texas loses, I'm gonna throw all my damn notes in the air, just like John Oliver. Okay, so that's the reality of it, man. I can give you the notes and all this stuff, but that's that's what worries me. They their strength is directly lined up against your weakness. They got to match up. That's a concern. That's yeah. a concern. Hey, here, here's something real quick. Uh, Rod, I want to ask you this one. I have, have you dug into, and this was Troy Thompson, have you dug into target share of deep shots for Washington? 
are all of their That's receivers. Good. Roma Duns is the one that everybody is is the first round pick. So you assume he's the deep, the biggest deep threat. Is that accurate, or are the are the Polk, the young man from Lufkin, uh, or the other receiver, the the, the deep threats too? Uh, Jalen Polk, uh, Jalen McMillan, it, it, it Roma, they're all like, and I go, I'll go find the numbers on that. That's a really good question. Um, I based on the film study, just watching, I think they're all kind of equally, uh, you know, equally credible in terms of their ability to, to take the top of a defense and and be vertical threats. But Romo Dunze is the best contested catch receiver they have. It doesn't matter if he's open deep. He don't need to be open. He just need to be one-on-one. All right. He's caught 70%, over 70% of his contested catches. He leads the country or tied for the lead in the country in contested catch rate and contested catches. That's one of his X-Man abilities is that he just needs to be one-on-one. And your DB can have decent position, but listen, that freshman Malik Muhammad on Romo Dunze, and he's one-on-one down the field, they're going to take that shot. All day, every day, and twice on Sunday. And yeah, they real, real quick, Bobby, I, I wanted to chime in on Adunze. Uh, at, at times, you know, as good as he is, he's kind of been the Achilles heel for Michael Penix in terms of turning the ball over. You know, at times whenever – as a quarterback, you know you have that guy that will go up and, and make contested catches. You'll throw in double or triple coverage because there's just a blind confidence that he'll come down with the football. Uh, there's been six interceptions – thrown by Michael Penix this year when targeting Roma Dunze. Uh, that's, that, that's the most on the team, as you would expect. That's a big number for a quarterback that's expected to go in the first round of the NFL draft. And so it could be something to watch. Again, if Texas is, is you know, monitoring, moving safeties over the top, they could find a ball that's probably just a, a prayer, if you will. So, I, yeah, I know as DBs, you like the idea of coming down with the ball that's not necessarily put in the right spot. So that, no. I think that's something to look for. That's great stuff, CJ, because think about it last year, guys. Terrence Brooks should have had a pick six. Yeah. They should have won the game off pick six from Terrence Brooks. He dropped it. All right. And I he's got nine interceptions on a year, to your point, CJ Penix does. I can think of three, four off the top of my head right now, guys just dropped. Because yeah. he's got a cannon of an arm that's trying to fit in the window, or his receivers are savvy enough. They come in like DBs to kind of get a hand in there or something to break it up. But CJ's right. I, I, and I said this on this live stream. He he is arguably overconfident in his arm. He will try to fit it in very small windows. He's like, man, and he's confident in his receivers. Why not? Yeah. They're all NFL caliber guys. So, like I said, if he, if he sees it, he will just throw it sometimes, even when the coverage is pretty good, because he trusts his arm and he trusts his wide receivers. So CJ's right. Just got to catch him. He, he threw it to Terrence Brooks, and Terrence Brooks didn't catch it. That, dude, that could have changed the whole damn game. That would have won the game, potentially. Well, I got to be – I got to be uh, – I got to talk about this because it's really interesting to me. Uh, I feel like great quarterbacks are willing to take risks that others aren't. And sometimes you live and die with them. Right. And I think that's, you know, so I think you get down to the final four. Okay. You can't just, if it's equally talented teams or pretty equal teams like Texas and Washington are Michigan and Alabama, you can't just have a bus driver. Your quarterback has to go out there and win some games for you. And so we'll see whether that forces an interception or all of a sudden Roma Dunze is running down the field with nobody with, with Longhorns chasing Right. Hey, I, I do have a good question here. This one from Rick Starr, guys. Uh, Rick asks, Hook'em, guys, was wondering if we will be wearing our icy whites in the Sugar Bowl. We are unstoppable when we wear that storm. <laughs> hey, Rod, you know you like to wear the icy whites. I will say this. Texas is the visiting team. So, theoretically, Texas should be wearing the whites. But I think that our, I think the home team actually gets to choose. Oh, yeah, I think you're right. So we'll see what Washington chooses, and then that'll dictate what Texas. I haven't heard. Uh, if someone else out there has done the research and figured that out, uh, please let us know in this chat. Uh, hey, before we get going, a couple more questions uh, and uh, talk a little bit more recruiting as well as team news. I want to say thank you to our sponsor. Uh, each and every Sunday night's live stream brought to you by the folks at the Cross Oak Group. Cross Oak is one of the leading government affairs firms in the state of Texas, specializing in lobbying, political communications, business development, and regulatory compliance. These days, government finds ways to impact nearly every aspect of your business 
With decades of experience ranging from the State House to the White House, Crossoak Group helps its clients hedge risk and protect and grow their bottom lines. To learn more, go to www.crossoakgroup.com. We appreciate uh, their uh, sponsorship of uh, the On Texas Football Sunday Night live stream. Thank you all very much. All right, this one from Michael Klukon. Uh, with Texas having a late surge in the final week of recruiting, combined with the committee class stock rising, I think Texas will finish number three overall. Um, Georgia and Alabama are one and two, guys. CJ, have you looked into this and where you think Texas could possibly finish if they finish out with Phil Sami, uh, Ty Anthony Smith, and then uh, perhaps maybe uh, a Dominic McKinley or Dalen Evans or Alex Foster? Yeah, wouldn't that be uh, icing on the cake right there if Texas was to, you know, come in at the, the February signing day and flip one of those as well? Uh, I, I've i not looked deep into the numbers or how the, the Klaus calculators work. I know that's one of the, the fun things to do right around the time of signing day, so I guess I'll look into it this weekend. But I do know a top five class is in the works, and if what we've heard coming out of this weekend uh, in terms of the 2024 prospects that were on campus – there's no reason to think that they won't be jumping in this top five prior to Wednesday. You know, I, I think by Wednesday afternoon, they're going to be sitting in that conversation. Obviously, three five stars in the class. They're in the conversation of and, and things are certainly trending to flip a fourth. So hard to, you know, stack up with the, the other uh, classes a, 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 along the country and and not think Texas won't be in that top five. And I think the numbers at the end of the day will line up and and in, in favor of them in that in that mix. It would be the third straight top five finish uh, for the Longhorns in recruiting and Steve Sarkeesian, which is just amazing considering he was five and seven when he had his first one. I mean, give me a break. Um, uh, last year, finished top five again, had a really good uh, run uh, at the end. Uh, and then this year, it looks like it's going to be top five again. And then who knows what it's going to be next year. We just talked about the first junior days, June 20 or January 20th. Uh, Texas could get a commitment tomorrow. Uh, from a class of 2025 tight end named Emery Winston. Uh, he's 6'3", uh, 235 out of Calhoun, Georgia. He's expected to make a decision between Texas, Ohio State, and Central Florida. It's really a Texas and Ohio State at this point. Uh, and he looks, and I, Rod, I want to send you a film of this guy. He looks a lot like JT Sanders to me. A lot of yak, a lot of yak, a lot of catching the ball cleanly. In, in, and running through it, running through the catch as opposed to just sitting tight on it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I think that uh, that's one of those that uh, we'll have to wait. All right. Hey, Rod, this one's for you from Rick Amberguy. Rod, do you think Jonte Cook goes to the slot, golden to X-Man's spot? Wingo will start at Mitchell's spot if Mitchell declares for the draft. I need to go over the, the whole draft thing in a second. But go well, that's answer the, the, the position, um, if you think. Sark likes his receivers uh, to be interchangeable. Um, he likes uh, them to be able to have some um, some versatility in terms of the roles they play. So he's not as rigid as kind of a Tom Herman would be. Uh, X-Man plays. Sometimes you'll see him in the slot. You'll see him at the number three when they go trips. He'll move those guys around. Uh, but, yeah, I actually do see Matthew Golden playing a lot in the slot. Uh, Jontae Cook, I think Jontae Cook is going to basically be X-Man. You're going to see him everywhere. You're gonna see him outside. You're gonna see him. basically Sark is matchup hunting, right? When he puts he moves X-Man around and he's making it tough for defensive coordinators to find X-Man and to be able to, to have their best DB shadow X-Man. So I, I think just like that with John Tate, I think you're gonna move him around a little bit. You know, sometimes you're gonna see him uh out wide, sometimes they're gonna put him at number three, sometimes they're gonna be a reduced set. Uh only makes sense. So I I think I think Sark's gonna be less rigid about that kind of stuff in the future because he's recruiting his type of receiver. Think about it. You know, Jay Witt's a guy he inherited. Now, he loves him some Jay Witt, but he inherited Jay Witt. Uh, I think now going forward, the receivers that he's, you know, being able to recruit himself, these are all kind of going to be his guys he's handpicked. Sark's got a type, right? I mean, he likes these slight, small speed demons. Um, and I think you're going to see more of those guys and more of those guys are going to make it interchangeable where you can move those things around. That kind of makes this uh, – this- 2024 recruiting class kind of interesting with who they've targeted at receiving. And, and, and Bobby, we've talked about it briefly previously. They're kind of strained from the mold of what Sarkeesian likes as, 
you know, in terms of the body build at receiver position. So it's only going to, you know, give more variance and the type of targets that they'll have, you know, with Ryan Wingo, uh, you know, Freddie Dubose and uh, Parker Livingstone. So interesting there. I'm really excited to see how Sarkeesian's going to match up Hunt, like you said, with all these new pieces coming in. All those guys are big bodied receivers too. Uh, the, the ones that are coming in that he just yeah. mentioned there, uh, Rod, 6'3", 6'4", those kind of tight yeah. bodies. Uh, CJ, you were texting me behind the scenes. You have some news. You just texted with Alex Foster. Tell folks about that. Yeah, Alex Foster just, you know, traded messages back and forth with them after the visit. Uh, he did confirm he will be signing uh, in February. Uh, that is something to monitor, obviously, with Texas looking to potentially flip him from his Baylor commitment. Uh, there will be a continuance in that recruitment moving forward. And, you know, we probably won't see uh, any type of movement, you know, on that that Wednesday deadline of the early signing period. Got it. Thanks, uh, CJ. That's uh, Alex Foster, the defensive lineman out of Greenville, Mississippi, that visited the Longhorns over the weekend. I know these late, this from Oscar Elizondo, I know these late recruiting runs have happened with his staff, but with where it was ranked early on, how shocking, impressive is it that they could possibly be top five again? Shocking. I don't, <laughs> I, 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 you know, though, this is, this is one of those questions, right, where there were times this summer I'm like, whoa, Texas needs to get, get going. A little bit uh they were getting they weren't getting the domino of commitments it was like one or two every two weeks no momentum to, you know it was a slow steady pace then colin simmons then Zeno umio zulu uh then kobe black most recently brandon baker it was kind of this slow trickle right now they're going to finish maybe with a flurry with a guy like phil Simi, uh and possibly ty anthony smith too and, you know, I am surprised. I, I thought they would be top 10. I, I thought top five was a possibility, but I didn't know that they would get there because they were going to have to domino on just about everybody left on the board. Hmm. And so yeah. in that spot, I think I was very, I, I was surprised. All right. Hey, this one from uh, Q Simper. Bobby, love what you guys do. How do you choose what hat you put on? <laughs> Anybody, I, you know what? That is a great question. I look at which one fits my mood that day. This there you is my, go. This right here, you know what this is? This means that the women just won the national championship tonight. Damn right. Uh, congrats to them. It also means that the University of Texas just had, got a commitment on Saturday night from a, a recruit <laughs> they wanted. Longhorn's looking in good shape for Xavier Filsamy and uh, Andrew Makuba out of the portal. As well as uh, as well as Ty Anthony Smith, the linebacker. This is a joyous hat. Bobby's yeah. in a good mood. This good is mood. a light. We need a light the tower hat. Is what we yeah. need. That's what we need, Rod. You know those. You know how those work, dude. Uh, yeah. uh, all right. Hey, um, this one. When was the last time two siblings won national championships same year, two different sports? The Akanas. Did you know this, Rod? One of the Akanas, Tassili Akanas' sister, older sister. Transfer, transferred in from uh, Nebraska two years ago and has won two national championships now with the Longhorns. Okay. Now to Siliacana with the Longhorns is in the final four uh, wow. as well. Thanks, uh, Mike. I don't have any that's, clue. That's I have no clue. I did not know. I, that's, I don't think I got to ask. Man, that's one of those questions. Shout out. Wish you'd had Bill Little, the late, great Bill Little. Run. That's one of those, I text Bill Little. Like, oh, man, I, I don't know, but I know Bill Little would know. So shout out to my man, Bill Little. Yeah, either that or the ESPN stats info guy, right? Yeah, exactly. so they actually have this big <laughs> database that you can run cross-reference things like that. Uh, all right, hey, this one from Kevin Jones. My guess: the last team with the ball wins. Prediction: forty-two to forty-two with one minute left in the game. Auburn, Burt Auburn, on a Texas kick wins. Agree? I can agree with the last team to have the ball wins. I can see it. Uh, because they're either going to win it or going to they're going to run the clock out. You know, kind of like Texas has done to other teams. Uh, Washington did that to to uh, Oregon in the Pac-12 championship where they just kind of ran the ball out with the lead. I I don't know about 42. 42-42 seems like a lot to me. Like Y'all see lot. it more in the 30s, like mid to yeah. low 30s, high, high yeah, 20s? I low 30s to me. Low 30s, high 20s. I still think it has a feel of a shootout, but I could see – Defense is making plays. I can see, as CJ mentioned, a Penix turnover. Hell, he had a turnover in the last game. Remember, it was a third. I was a third and long they were in, and 
Texas had a they had a ghost front. They were moving their D line around, had that radar front, and Penis was confused and just threw it and threw a pick. They should do more of that, by the way, in the game. Um, but yeah, I can see I can see turn turnovers gonna be huge because they got one of the things their defense does well, they they're opportunistic, the secondary, they take the ball away. They got some long, lean, rangy athletes in the secondary that make plays on the football. They got 16 picks on the year. And matter of fact, they got Muhammad, they got Kenfo. Malik Muhammad's Kenfo is a, is starting the corner for him, right? He's yep, a good Jamar player. Muhammad. Yep. Yeah, he's like their best cover guy, actually. Yeah, hey, CJ, where do you see that game going uh, score wise? It's a, I don't know. I I've I've been on the fence with it for seemingly since you know the matchup was set because immediately I, I went back and watched last year's game and the only thing I took away from last year's game was how odd it was. You know, there was no flow for Texas offensively. Uh, the running game was non-existent because you didn't have uh, Bijan, Roshan. Jonathan Brooks was hurt. You, you had Keelan Robinson, who was your, your go-to guy. I don't see Quinn Ewers throwing the ball 47 times again. I think there's going to be a whole lot more balance. There wasn't much consistency in terms of moving the ball past midfield. It seemed like once Texas got to midfield, and it happened so often in the first half, things just kind of fell apart. So I don't know if it's kind of going to – duplicate itself again i have to imagine both Penix and and ewers have increased their performance significantly since last year's game but it's one of those games and we see it in the nfl all the time these big games where star-studded matchups offensively just kind of filter out you know there's not the high scoring offenses that you expect to see when teams play you know the when it's mahomes and josh allen you look up and it's a 17 to 13 game in the fourth quarter you're thinking how is this happening but it's just that much emphasis on every single drive defensively to not get beat deep to not bust coverage to make sure you're communicating well i have to think it's going to be a similar type of game but at the same time you see the offensive firepower and you're like how how are these guys not going to find the end zone i i could see something like 35 33 32-28. I mean, I, I I just think it's going to be that 38-33. You know, you know what I mean? That that kind of yep. seesaw battle where one team gets up by 10 in the fourth quarter and tries to milk the clock. Yeah. And whether or not they can hold on, we'll, we'll find out. But it's that kind of game where two offenses kind of go toe-to-toe and play chicken, essentially. Yeah. You know what I mean? Whoever scores, it yeah. scores. I, I, all right, we got to get get going here. We're a little bit past our hour. Uh, this one, I'm going to finish off with, guys, if y'all don't mind. Uh, Kevin Todd asked anything about on Trey Moore, Bobby. Uh, the last I have got is he was at Alabama over the weekend. He was expected to make a decision before Nash. I, excuse me, before Christmas. Remember, he's a portal guy from UTSA. Had 14 sacks. Visited Texas last weekend. That was his plan as of Friday. I've not spoken to his uh, marketing rep uh, since that time. Uh, So uh, I will try to get something uh, there and have it for coffee and football in the morning uh, for folks that uh, tune in. And uh, we'll also mention it uh, on our other other updates uh, tomorrow as well. I want to say thanks to the Crossover Group tonight for spending time and and sponsoring this show uh, with us. Also, thanks to all of our viewers uh, and listeners out there. We're we got three days to go right now until National Signing Day, February, uh, January, January, February. I'm going to get it right if I stab it another time. <laughs> uh, my apologies, guys. It's been one of those days. Uh, but we're going to follow up with all of this stuff and more uh, tomorrow. We're also going to have on Texas football in the morning on coffee and football. We've got Greg Tepper, uh, managing editor of Dave Campbell's Texas football coming on. He was on Bally's with all those games over the weekend. I want to talk to him about some of the state championship stuff uh, and get going with that. All right. uh, For Rod Babers and CJ Vogel, that's going to do it for the Sunday night live stream, guys. Uh, Hook them. Hook them.